name of Jesus so that you will be confident you have eternal life. See, this letter, 1 John 1, is a, 1 John is a letter of confidence. It's a letter of hope. John's telling us about Jesus and the joy that comes from fellowship, from relationship with him. And he says, you can know. You can have confidence. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to worry. This is what John is telling us. But if this is true, a question that we have to ask ourselves is if this is true, if we can know that we are saved, if we can know that we are in a right relationship with God, why do so many people question this? Why do so many people lack confidence? Why do so many people wonder? Why are there so many people uncertain of their salvation? So here's, here's my thesis statement for 1 John chapter 2. Our assurance of salvation is found in Christ and is demonstrated by us in three ways. By obeying the commands, by loving other people, by not loving the world, and by holding on to the identity of Jesus Christ. So our assurance is in Jesus, but our demonstration is by following the commands of loving other people, not loving the world, and holding on to the identity of Jesus. Let's read 1 John chapter 2, just the first two verses. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but for the sins of all of the world. So here's, here's the truth from these verses. We are going to sin. We are going to sin in our lives. And we have an advocate that pleads on our behalf. Well, what does that mean? So, so I have a question. I'm wondering, in this room, I'd like to see a show of hands. How many of you in this room have ever had charges placed against you by someone else? How, how many of you have been accused of a crime by someone else? Okay, good. So I'm not the only one. That's like really good. It's good news. Um, at one point in my life, I had charges filed against me. And in the process of those charges being dropped and me being cleared of all charges, I didn't kill anyone, so relax. Um, in the process of me, of me being uh, relieved of those charges, I had to have some friends write a letter to the court and write a letter to the prosecutor telling them what a great person I was. I want you to know that that's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is not going before God for you and saying, you know what, Dave Parrish, he's a pretty good guy. I mean, he's a sinner, but he's a pretty good guy, God, so why don't, you, why don't you let him in? See, that's not what it means for Jesus to be our advocate. In fact, he's doing the exact opposite. He's going to the judge, and he's saying, in this case, Dave Parrish is a terrible sinner. In fact, he deserves death, and I think, Dave, you would agree with that. 
But I, Jesus, am pleading on his behalf, not because of what he's done, but because what I have done. What I did for Dave on the cross. That's why you, God, should let Dave perish into eternity with you is because of what I have done. And this is, this is a little different mindset of us from way, the way we normally think about what it means for Jesus to be our advocate. It's not Jesus writing a letter to the court saying, You're, this person's really good, they didn't mean it, they, they shouldn't have said this, they shouldn't have done that. It is, they did it, they're guilty, and I paid the penalty for them. That's what it means for Jesus to be our advocate. Jesus is intervening on our behalf. And there are a number of instances throughout the Bible where, where someone more righteous intervenes for someone less righteous. Moses did it after the Israelites traded God, the worship of God, for the statue of a grass-eating bull. Phineas did it after the people worshipped Baal and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. But see, what makes, different, what makes Jesus different in his advocacy on our part is that his death on the cross actually paid for our sins and for the sins of the world. Jesus paid the penalty for our unrighteousness. And he advocates, and this is, this is, what, this is what we need to hear today. He advocates for those that he knows. Jesus is an advocate for those that he knows. Let's read the next set of texts. We're going to read 2 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 14. And we can be sure that we know him if we keep, if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person's a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you've had from the very beginning. This old commandment, to love one another, is the same message you heard before. Yet it's also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims, I am living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. See, this is the relationship. This is the part where Jesus advocates those that he knows. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I've written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I've written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. See, we can be sure that Jesus is, is going to advocate for us 
We can be sure that Jesus is our advocate when we obey the commandments. Which commandments, you ask? John says the same ones. The same ones you've heard before. There's nothing new here. Love one another. See, our assurance is found in Christ. And it's demonstrated in the way that we love others, especially when those others are fellow believers. And it's not from just the, we aren't called to just love Christians that are like us, that are in our tribe, right? We are not called to just love Christians who, who only celebrate communion on every Sunday. We're called to be in relationship and to love Christians who celebrate it once a quarter or once a month or once a year. We're called to love other believers. And one of the greatest things that I've, I've witnessed that's happening during our coronavirus times, one of the most amazing things that's happening in Scott's Bluff is seeing how the churches in Scott's Bluff are actually working together. I think for the first time. They're actually doing things together. We've had two food distributions over the last few months. And next Sunday night at the county fair, there's a, there's a worship night. That's 12 churches in town are gathering together to praise God, to offer an opportunity for the church to be one, for the church to be united. See, this unity is a way that we demonstrate that we love other believers, that we love others. And it's a way that, that shows that Christ is our advocate. Well, what does it mean to love? What, is, what does that word mean? We love lots of things. I love pizza. I love running. I love Jesus. Do I mean the same thing by all three of those words, love? What does it mean to love? We were talking about this a few weeks ago in our Thursday small group, and Scott Marsh read this from his Bible said, John uses words, John, that's John the writer, John uses words like love and hate, not primarily as emotions. This is key. These words, love and hate, are not used primarily as emotions, but they're attitudes expressed in actions. Love and hate in the Bible is not an emotion. It's an attitude expressed in an action. See, many of us would, would never say that I hate someone. We would never say that. I hate this person. But our social media feeds are filled with calling people fools. Our social media feeds are filled with spreading unfounded rumors and gossip and innuendo. And in a world that's, that's drowning in fear right now, See, when we do this, we are, we're adding to that fear. I believe John would say that we are hating. Because love and hate aren't emotions, they're attitudes expressed in actions. And there are consequences to this. There are consequences to this level of hatred for us. In Matthew 5, Jesus says that calling someone an idiot puts you in danger of going to court. And cursing them puts you in danger of the fires of hell. This is serious. I want you to remember this tomorrow. 
I want you to remember this tomorrow when you walk into Walmart and the person that's going to be in the black shirt is going to tell you that you have to wear a mask. Will you love? Or will you hate? This is... This is real. See, people who live in the light, they love other people. And our assurance is found in Christ, and it's demonstrated in the way that we love others. It's demonstrated in our obedience to keeping God's commandments. But also, John writes, let's continue, beginning at verse 15. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and our possessions. These are not from the Father, but they are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So what does it mean for us to not love the world? How, how do we love God and not be a lover of the world? Well, John describes it in three ways. He says that lovers of the world have a craving for physical pleasure. People who love the world do what feels right. They do what feels good to them. They have a craving for physical pleasure. Lovers of the world have a craving for everything they see. Ecclesiastes 1.8 talks about wandering eyes. Eve, she sees that the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. So what did Eve do? She took some and she ate it. She saw it. She had wandering eyes. In Joshua 7, we can read the story of, of a person named Achan. He sees a beautiful robe from Babylon. He sees it. He sees 200 silver coins and one silver bar. And in Joshua 7, it says he wanted it so much that he took them. The eyes. David's on the rooftop overlooking the city. And he sees Bathsheba, a woman of unusual beauty. So what does he do? sends messengers to go and get her. See, lovers of the world have a craving for everything they see. This was about 22 years ago. Um, we had just had our third child. We had been riding around in a 1993 Ford Escort wagon for about five and a half years. And with three kids, a Ford Escort wagon is not the appropriate size for the amount of accoutrements that go with taking a family of five people everywhere. Parents, I know you can identify with that. So we did the thing that I wasn't so sure I wanted to. We went looking for a minivan. Right? So we, we went to the car lot, and, and we were intent on buying a used minivan. This was our goal. We were going to buy a used minivan. And we were on the lot, and we were looking around, and we saw the one that we wanted, and we started walking across the parking lot, and we walked into the, into the building to fill out all of the paperwork, and there it was. 
sitting on the showroom floor, all of its doors opened, a little screen folded from the top of the ceiling in this van. And I said, what's that? And the guy said, oh, that van has a VCR in it. And we were like, well, we got to sit in this. And of course, 45 minutes later, we walk out of there spending literally $17,000 more than what we had planned to spend. Because our eyes saw this thing that we had to have. And the dealer knew exactly what they were doing when they put that in the showroom. Right where everyone would walk by it. It's okay to spend money. But our eyes, our eyes can trick us. And some of us have, have zero self-control. We exhibited no self-control on that day. It was there and we wanted it. And here's the third way that we can know that we love the world. Because lovers of the world have pride in their achievements and in their possessions. Lovers of the world say, look at me, look at all the things I have, look at all of my possessions, look at my accomplishments, look at who I hang around with. And what John says is that all of these things are fading away. Every single one of them. As the light gets brighter, they all fade away. And another thing that's true for these coronavirus times that we live in is it becomes pretty clear what's valuable and what's not valuable right now, right? If, if, we, took our, if we took our affirmation from where we worked during this time and, uh, and now our hours are cut... See, that's the light exposing to us, and this is so good for us to see. This isn't something for us to reject. This is something for us to move towards. And remember that our assurance is found in Christ, and it's demonstrated through our obedience to the commandments, the way we love other people. And then lastly, by holding on to the reality of who Jesus is as the Messiah. Let's finish out chapter 2. Dear children, the last hour is here. You've already heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know the last hour has come. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved they did not belong to us. But you are not like that. For the Holy One has given you his Spirit. And all of you know the truth. So I'm writing to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between the truth and the lies. And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son but doesn't have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you'll remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father, and in this fellowship we enjoy the eternal life he's promised us. I'm writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray, but you have received the Holy Spirit, and he lives within each of you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. 
For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and what He teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as He has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ, so that when He returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from Him in shame. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. So John here, like, like Paul did when he talked to Timothy, I don't know if you remember that, when, when Paul talked to Timothy about living in the end times, John here is saying that we are living in the end times. And here's, here's what that doesn't mean. The book of Revelation is not a checklist Yep, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. That's not what it means by the end times. The coronavirus test swab is not implanting a chip into the back of your head. Okay, Regardless of what you've seen on Facebook, it's not the mark of the beast. I love you. I want you, I want you to hear this. The coin shortage that we are currently experiencing is not about the cashless society to move us to a one-world government. See, the way John describes the end times is by talking about all of the people who are fleeing the churches because they are not clinging to the identity of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to live in the end times. To see people flee the church because they're not clinging to the identity of Jesus Christ. John says this is how we can know that the last hour is upon us. So, certainly, over the last 20 years, many of us have been disturbed as we've seen people leave the church. Like, that's, that's disturbing. It's also a sign of the end. It's something that's been predicted. This is how we know that the last hour is upon us. A question that I'm frequently asked by people is, can I lose my salvation? Maybe you've asked that question. Maybe you've wondered that question. Can I lose my salvation? Is it possible for me to lose my salvation? My favorite answer is the one that Pastor Mike gives. You mean like the way you lose your car keys? See, we don't wake up one day having lost our salvation like we did our car keys. But what this text is telling us is that there are a great many people who walk away from it. There are people who flee their salvation, who flee their relationship with God. And while our assurance is in Christ, we can know that we are saved because of what Jesus has done. We're not saved by church attendance. We're not saved by how many times a week we read our Bibles. We're not saved by the amount of praying that we do, all good things. But apparently, according to John, our participation or lack thereof with the body of Christ is a marker of someone who is living out an assured faith. Does that make sense? Coming to church doesn't save you. But being in a relationship with other believers is a demonstration of your salvation. It's how people know. 
One of the things that we have to recognize is, is that in the New Testament, there's no context for Lone Ranger Christians. There's not. They're all in relationship. And we're not talking about people, I'm not talking about people who because of health reasons can't come or haven't been back yet. But a purpose of this letter is fellowship. Is being in relationship with one another. And a question that we have to ask is, how can we be in fellowship if we're not gathering? You can't be in fellowship unless you gather. How can you obey the commandment to love other people if you're not around other people? You cannot. There's a section in this chapter that's quite startling. He says, anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. See, one of the things that we have to know from this text, there's an implication there. All roads do not go to heaven. All roads, all, all religions, and now I know why someone sent me a text yesterday and said, hey, I don't know why, but I feel like I've had to pray for you today. And it just hit me why. See, all religions don't lead to heaven. All religions, all belief systems are not equally valid in the way that they bring people into a relationship with God. That's what this says. Whoever knows the Son knows the Father. And if you don't know the Son, you don't have the Father. And see, there are other world religions and other belief systems that don't acknowledge Jesus as who he says he is. Do you know the Son? I'm not asking you if you intellectually assent to him. There was a period in my life where, despite having grown up in the church, I was one of the people. I was, I was who John was talking about, having left the church. Didn't want to have anything to do with, with Christians. Didn't want to be in fellowship. Didn't want to be in relationship. But here's the thing, if you would have come up to me during that, during that point, and if you would have asked me if I believe that Jesus was the Son of God, if I intellectually assented to it, I would have said yes. Yep, I do. And if you would have run through like 10 different beliefs that all Christians believe, I would have said yep, 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 yep. And then I would have said five more because that would have been 10. But see, there's a difference between intellectually assenting to who Jesus is and living it. There's a difference between intellectually assenting and experiencing it in believing that his way of living is best. And ultimately, this is about, are we using Jesus as our advocate? Are we saying, you know what? I am guilty And I need someone to pay my penalty for me. And his name is Jesus. And if we are utilizing him as our advocate, then we will obey him, we will pursue him, and we will honor him. We will seek out relationship with him. Rick Lawrence says that the first and only question that really matters in this life is this. Who do I say Jesus is? Who do I say Jesus is? John writes, remain faithful to what you've been taught. You don't need special knowledge. You have the Holy Spirit. This is real fellowship, and it leads to eternal life. 
This is a relationship. It's the fellowship that John talked about in 1 John chapter 2. And this is the joy that all of us are invited into that John talked about in 1 John 1 verse 4. See, just like the, the point of John describing Jesus for us in the first chapter was not about wisdom. It wasn't about intellectual knowledge. It was about fellowship. Fellowship with Jesus is not transactional. Listen to how Jesus described this fellowship in the Gospels. Jesus says that we must eat his body and drink his blood if we want any part of him. He describes the relationship with us that he wants, metaphorically, like a branch abiding in a vine, like a groom's intimate relationship with his bride, like a sheep's desperate and dependent relationship with a shepherd, like two lovers who can't take their eyes off of each other. See, Jesus has no problem asking his followers to give up everything to follow him, including their very lives. And he expects that people are going to reject him, which is why when we, when we claim him as our advocate, he loves it. He gives all of himself to us. And John is talking about all of this because there are people who want to lead us astray. There are people who want to lead me astray. There are people who talk about special wisdom and knowledge. And remember, the context of 1 John is about Gnostics. And, and they believe that people were saved through their special knowledge. And John is saying, you know what, you don't need that. You don't need special knowledge. You need the Holy Spirit. He's living within you and he's teaching you what is true. He resides in you. Rest in him. He's coming back and you have every reason for courage as Christians who have claimed Jesus as our advocate, we have nothing to fear when Jesus returns. We can be confident. Our assurance is found in Christ, and it's demonstrated by us in three ways. By obeying the commandments to love other people, to love God, not the world, and to hold on to the identity of Jesus as the Christ. I want to read from Hebrews chapter 10 before we pray. This is Hebrews 10, beginning at verse 32. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when you all owned what was taken from you, when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that would last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings to you. Patient endurance is what you need now, so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you'll receive all he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. Listen to verse 39. Listen to the confidence. But we are not like those who turn away from God to our destruction. 
We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending Jesus to be our advocate. To stand before you and plead on our behalf. To accept our penalty for sin. God, help us to live in confidence. Help us to love others well. Help us to turn our back on loving the world and help us to cling to your son, Jesus, as the Christ. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Please stand with me as we sing. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, O Lord, my rock and my strength, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer i worship you with everything i am may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O oh Lord, my rock and my my rock and my strength, oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, I worship you with everything, oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, oh Lord, my rock and my strength oh lord my rock and my redeemer i worship you with everything i am I 
You can be seated. So one of my favorite things to do is to have a meal with people that I'm in relationship with. Um, Eating with other people allows us to learn things about people that we never knew. Sitting at someone else's table always puts us at ease. It makes us comfortable. We get to see their face. We get to hear their voice. Someone once told me that there's not a disagreement in the world that could not be resolved in an hour over a cup of coffee. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And that's why whenever someone has reached out to me and maybe expressed something that they were frustrated with or, or, or disagreed with, my play is always, let's get together. Let's have a cup of coffee together. Let's have a conversation about this. When Jesus was with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed and he was arrested, he was having a meal with them. In fact, Luke tells us that he was very eager to eat that Passover meal with them. He was absolutely recontextualizing the Passover, right? He was absolutely saying, this meal is about the Passover, but it's really about me. He's absolutely giving his followers what we would call a ritual to obey something to do, a task to do. Together, he was doing those things. And as I was thinking about this last night, I think Jesus just wanted to eat with his friends. I think he just wanted one more time to laugh and to have a conversation and to shed a tear. On Sunday mornings here at Westway Christian Church, we celebrate this meal together. And even though this wafer in this little piece of plastic tastes like styrofoam, like we all know it does, okay, it's never going to taste any better. Even though this little wafer tastes like styrofoam and the juice is filled with sugar and preservatives, it represents so much more for us. The bread is Jesus' body, and the cup is the new covenant between God and his people. It's an agreement confirmed with his blood. This is, this is what it means that Jesus is our advocate. He has advocated for us with his blood, poured out as a sacrifice for us so that we would have the life rather than the death that we deserve. We participate in this meal together every single week Because Jesus, our advocate, calls us to unity. He calls us to love one another. He calls us to love him. So this wafer, Jesus' body, and it's broken for you. Take and eat. And this cup, is Jesus' blood poured out for you in advocacy for you. Take and drink. I want to encourage you this morning to give generously to Westway Christian Church. If you are a part of our body, one of the ways that we demonstrate 
The relationship that we have with one another and the relationship that we have with God is by giving. There are lots of great ways you can do that. You can give online, you can give by text. You can, on your way out today, there are two boxes in the back. You can place a check or cash gift in those boxes. We would just encourage you to do that. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I'm going to close with a word of prayer. Father, again, thank you for advocating for us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for desiring not just intellectual wisdom and intellectual knowledge, but you desire fellowship with us. You desire a joyful life. You desire to enter into that joyful life with us. You desire for us to be confident that we are in relationship with you, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything Jesus has done. Let us be affected by that this week. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. I always say the exact same thing at this point. You are not held hostage. If you want to go, you are free to go. If you want to hang around for probably 15 minutes of conversation, we just want to encourage you to do that. Um, talk about a few questions. 1 John 2, 1-2 speaks about Jesus being our advocate. What does that mean? What does that mean that Jesus is our advocate? I know I talked about it, but I'm interested. Like, What does that mean that Jesus is our advocate? I did that good of a job of explaining it? No. Okay. I think I always call the word advocate kind of like a lawyer. Mm. Like Jesus is like the advocate of law. But it's like a not trying to be smart or smart in some kind of way. It's just kind of like how you Yeah, so I used to look at Jesus as my lawyer. And I would say as I was up until my preparation of this message, that was always my perspective. Now, I knew that there was something off on that because it didn't quite make sense. But as I just read and wrote and studied, it was like, oh, no, I think there's something more here. Larry, what were you going to say? Yeah, so he's not just our defense attorney. He's also paying that penalty for us. That's that atonement language. John? Yeah, without that, without that relationship, what John is saying is without that advocate, there's no one going to God on your behalf, and you can't do it. We can't do it. Dave?
Yeah, so we have someone who's with us. Right? We have someone who's, who's in relationship with us as we go through life. Let's talk about the next uh, question. How can we live in the world but not of it? Remember those three things of what it looks like to love the world. Craving for physical pleasure, craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. Man, we are just surrounded by this, right? This is, I like the way when people talk about it's, it's the air we breathe. We can't help but be caught up in this. How, how do we live in the world but not of it? Focus on the spiritual. What is that, Chris, what does that look like? Yeah, so, so find Jesus as our, as our priority in our lives. Not get so cat like by shiny things, right? We all like shiny things. That's when we walked into the, into the um, sales floor at the car dealership. Shiny thing. Like, it was like, a, it was like a screen like that, too. It's like, come on. What are we talking about here? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? Oh, wait a minute. Can you imagine being captivated? Right? What else? What else does it mean to live in the world but not of it? How do we, how do, we do this? I think part of it is recognizing, recognizing that you're going to quote-unquote miss out on something. In that scenario, for example, the car that car, you would have missed out on the mini The Dunstan checks in date that got stuck in there, and so that was the movie that we watched anytime we went somewhere. We would have missed out on that. Yeah, so we recognize what we're, what we're missing out on. I, yeah. But I mean, the Bible compares, you know, compares the kingdom of heaven to this treasure, to this thing that you're selling everything you have so you can get this one item. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, so, so John says we have to recognize that we're going to miss out on something, but what, Paul, what John in the text says, and the world is fading away along with everything that people crave. So what are we really missing out on? We're missing out on a temporary pleasure, the immediacy of, 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 a, of an immediate satisfaction, right? We're not missing out on anything that, that matters. But everything, that's just the air we breathe, Right? If, you, if you don't have this thing, you're missing out. All of our advertising is built around the mindset that you are missing out. Right? Joe? Yeah, what's my motivation? What's, what's driving me. Let's talk about the third question. What are some ways that we can know that the Spirit of God is living within us? And why is this so important? 